this. I'm going to put it on right now and have <laughs> one million necklaces, like some kind of indigenous <laughs> Mr. T. <laughs> Thank you so much. That's really beautiful. Young and Indigenous Podcast is an outlet for people to know about Indigenous knowledge, storytelling, and history. Through our youthful journeys as Indigenous people, young people and elders share their experiences with us. Without them, we wouldn't be able to do this. I'm about to tell some red stories. Stay tuned. <laughs> Yay, Podcast! My name is Cyrus James. I am a Tulalip tribal member, but I grew up in East Wenatchee with my non-native family. Anugwitu, Unstruck, Oikihia, Curly Bear, Tuchot, Queen Isle, Tuchot, Bellingham, um, Chalamas, Yay Podcast. Greetings. My name is Waikikia Curly Bear. My English name is Denise. I come from Queen Isle or the Quinault Indian Nation. I live in Bellingham. And I work for the Yay Podcast. Yeah, welcome to Young and Indigenous. Could you introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, of course. Um, Sasha Takshablu Seedsta Twal Nooksack Gwal Skagit. Um, hi, I'm Sasha Takshablu Lapointe. I'm from Nooksack and Upper Skagit. Thanks so much for having me. Sweet, thank you. Thank you. Um, so I think we figured we'd start by like talking about the book a little bit and our impressions from the book. Um, did you want to start with anything? Um, I'll let you go first. Okay. What One thing was your your um, relationship with you. What was your great-grandmother's name again? Uh, Vi Takshablu Hilbert. And then who was the one? Was it your great-great-grandma? The, the one that got married to the pirate? Um, I love the pirate. Yeah, <laughs> he was. He was a, a bootlegging pirate bastard. Um, yeah. Kompsha uh, Kahalawish would have been my great, great, great. Is there another great in there, grandmother? Great, great, great grandmother. Great. So is that five generations? I think so. Lois, Kia, like Mama Kia. Uh, and then Percy Woodcock was her dad. Myrtle Woodcock was her grandmother. Kompsha was Myrtle Woodcock's mother. Wow. Uh, when I was writing this book, I had the, like, my mom had given me all of these, like, family histories and the family tree, and you could, like, trace it back. But when I was writing, I had that and, like, newspaper clippings and photographs and old letters, like, pasted all over my, like, writing studio wall with little highlighters and stickers. It looked like one of those scenes in a crime, like, movie where <laughs> they're hot on the case or, like, red thread going everywhere. Just, like, it was it was wild. It almost felt like that way in the book too, because like it was so much of your experience and like the raw, the rawness of it, and then it was like something about comp show, like a either a dream or a vision or or just like an out like a 
anecdotal piece mm-hmm. of her. So it like, I th- that was kind of the through line, I think, of the culture in it. Because a lot of it was, was your life. And then I wondered like how the red paint would be tied in and like the connection to culture. And that really wrapped together in the end. And I think Kamsha was like the through line for coming coming to that. Absolutely. And like you going to the... I forget the name of the place. El Waco. El Waco, yeah. yeah, where the house was. Yeah. Yeah. But your your story with her, I think, related to me, because, like, all of our trauma is different, but, like, you, her being, like, a mysterious figure that you learned about more and more, both through your parents and through your own digging. Mm-hmm. Um, so I grew up with, like, my non-native family, um, and my... My father's the reason I'm indigenous, but I, I didn't grow up with him around. So he was always <clears throat> like a mysterious figure to me. And I, I like when I was a little guy, I read the Percy Jackson books. Mm-hmm. So I was like, is my father a god? I love <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not, but. <laughs> Am I a demigod? Yeah. <laughs> and then he, he passed away when I was 18. But again, like I didn't really know him. So it wasn't like he was still mysterious to me. Mm. Um, but then. I was invited to his funeral, of course, at that Tulalip, and I got to learn more about him through the people there that knew him and that had stories about him. Um, That's a powerful story. You should write a book. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know if you're a writer, but wow. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to connect it, but that, that was like the beginning of my, that was the first real experience I had with the culture and like with the drums and everything mm-hmm. like a part of it we were we were walking and there was like the drums were playing and I remember like feeling like really hard to stand like it was like like we were walking and I like my shoulders felt really heavy but I felt like powerful because I was still standing during that and I mean the drums always bring up something in you that's like that you're not always ready for mm-hmm. um And I think in particular, like near the end of the book, you talk about being being with like the, the ceremonial drums and stuff and what comes up there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> I think that connection comes from my uncle, Ron Chattiscato, whose paintings these are. Um, <clears throat> whenever I felt his spirit like present whenever I felt his presence around me like the drums definitely came like so it was really intense and powerful grounding Mm -hmm. yeah yeah like I recognize that feeling you're talking about Mm -hmm. um what stuck out to me I mean like the whole book stuck out to me but like what really what I feel connected to more is like I want to say your youth and kind of like you getting married um i so i grew up in foster care and like i was on my rest sometimes but i wasn't all the time and i'm getting married now and i kind of just it's like i feel lost like I told my mate I don't feel 100% at peace unless I'm on the beach at my res. But I think that's what set up. Yeah, that's what set up to me the most. 
That's really beautiful. I um, can relate so hard um, to the uh, don't feel at peace unless you're there in that like ancestral space. Uh, I feel the same way. That's so real. And I think a lot of my friends right now are like, wow, how do you how do you and your like long term partner like do this long distance thing? You know, my partner lives in San Diego. I live here. But it's that very reason, like, I'm like, I can't uproot myself. And um, it's like, if I go away too long, I feel like I start to wilt. And I'm like, I need to go home. I need to go back to the land, back to the water um, and recharge. So that's really, yeah, that's important. When I read the, the parts that mentioned Quimalt, I thought about UI Geeks, because I don't know if I know anyone else from Quimalt. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what is the process of writing like for you? Hmm. The process. <clears throat> I think <laughs> Fred's dogs. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> it changes from book to book. Um, for red paint, it was almost like I had to, not in a bad way, but like felt really called to do it um in order to kind of begin this journey of like healing because um oh, I feel like I can answer this more from a craft perspective and not get like super in the feels but um the process of writing that book was half like being guided by uh ancestors like Kamsha and like this research and like digging into them and then half was like just sitting up alone till like, you know, two or three in the morning, sometimes kind of surrounded by these photographs and stories and like my great grandmother's books. And um, I remember one time sitting in a hotel, uh, I had gotten a grant to go down to El Waco and, and, and do some of this research. And I was sitting in the hotel room just writing and writing because I'd been researching all day and I was like wrapped in her shawl and so it's like I don't know it very like that was a really intense writing process for me because I was learning more about the women I come from and sometimes especially as native people that's not always easy for us right like digging into like settler colonial trauma and like uh these texts that are basically uh traumatizing to like to engage with right like reading about the smallpox epidemic reading about Lewis and Clark and so it was intense and then I would have to like deeply self-soothe. And so I would surround myself with these, not only like the information I was researching, but like photographs of my ancestors wearing my grandmother's shawl and just like, so it's like half intense work and then half like, what do you need to take care of yourself? It's so important to like take care of yourself in the writing process when you're writing hard stories. <clears throat> That's one thing we have to we have to remind ourselves in our workplace sometimes is like we're all coming from different places. So like we're all on a different level of, of healing with it. And sometimes that means, you know, we can't perform 100% all the time. Yeah. So it's something we, we talk about, I think, frequently, I think. Yeah. And you saying that remind like the, the process of doing the research and what that brings up, that reminds me of like when you visited that place and some of the ignorance there of like, like when the one guy described it as a 
the uh, the wagon house, the wagon the, house, the coach house yeah. where they kept the wagons. Yeah, and where it's like you're wrong, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I had to work so hard in that moment to channel like my great grandmother. She really moved through the world and navigated the world with a lot of grace and compassion. And there's like a little ragey, like fiery, uh, you know, little gremlin in me that wanted to like scream at him and be like, no, that wasn't where they kept wagon wheels. My like ancestor lived there. That's where she slept and cooked and ate and had a life. Uh, But I tried to channel great grandma and I was (laughs) like, I just smiled and, you know, responded, took deep breaths and counted back from 10. And I said, well, actually, and then, you know, politely corrected him. Yeah. It's probably best he left after that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. In the poison garden, you said of my family, we were cursed. Specifically, the women, sick. Unable to be in my body, I got into the bath instead, blood red. With herbs and medicines, I am trying to fix it. I am trying to wash off the sickness. You said of my ancestry, affliction. You said, broken. Like our wedding night, I am trying to fight it. I am drowning in it, this need to fix it. To make myself more white, not just pale, but Lilium, that delicate shade of maiden. Less red, you said it was my mother and grandmother's doing, said it was them who made the men in my family death hungry. It's true, you knew the stories. My grandfather, how he wandered the wood at sunset, seeking ghosts. A generation later, my father wanders to coma reaches the hospital pleading to them I'm dying at my wife's broken heart that sad part of her that is killing me how does your culture influence you still today um I think that in everything that I do whether it's writing or teaching um creating like music when I do or anything that I engage with I think that my culture influences me in the way that like growing up with my great-grandmother's language revitalization work uh from a very early age kind of uh installed in me this like great respect for language and culture and also not to take things for granted because to see in my early years how hard she worked to keep a language from going extinct like like it taught me really young that our stories our songs our culture is like so important and like faced erasure you know so i feel like that influences me in most things that i do to not take things for granted to um always listen and learn and like um I don't know. I feel like I'm not answering that right, but that's my intuitive answer is that just moving through the world as a Coast Salish person, realizing that like our ancestors like were faced with like 
you know, being punished for speaking their language and being punished for um, engaging in their culture. So that's with me every day. I try to respect that and feel a gratitude that we have the things that we do. Like, mm-hmm. Do you have any recent examples or experiences? Hmm. I'm trying to think of the right one. Well, for example, on Saturday, I'm going up to, uh, my uncle does culture classes with the Puyallup tribe. And so whenever he invites me, even if I'm busy, you know, even if I'm like, I have a lot of papers to grade or I'm going to California, I've got stuff to do. Whenever he tells me, hey, we have this thing going on, you should come. I, whenever I can stop and go like this Saturday, I'm going up to his um, class to finish a paddle that he's teaching me how to make. So we've been making, we started making a paddle last summer during uh, canoe journeys and it's not finished yet, but I'm going to be going to do that on Saturday morning, even though it's like a really busy day. I'm like, I'm going to carve out time for that. Like, that's important. Um, What else? I think every time, you know, as I didn't start learning the language until or attempting to learn the language until I was in my 30s. And so... Um, anytime I try to push myself to incorporate Le Chutzid into a poem or a piece, an essay, I feel like that is engaging with my culture. I've been doing that lately. I've been researching different stories that my grandma used to tell. Um, and it's scary sometimes to be a, a, a grown-ass adult and standing up there with like fluent speakers, elders and, and fluent speakers. Like my nieces and nephews speak Le Chutzid better than me. I feel like I have cousins that speak it better, you know, cause, like full sentences because there's full immersion programs now and that's so awesome but uh when I get up there and I'm like I have a couple of shoot seed words in this poem and I get like really intimidated but the point is to like try I think and like you know be like okay I'm not a fluent speaker this is not my that's not my wheelhouse but um oh I don't like that I just used wheelhouse it's so <laughs> close to that story uh let's cut that out um but I think that is something I push myself to do, like uh, bringing the language into my work when I can. Um, yeah, I also teach at the Native Pathways Program at Evergreen, and I feel really lucky to be able to teach at a program, you know, sort of built for Native students. And every quarter we have a longhouse gathering and to come be with students and be in community. Um, feels really important. I feel like I went off on a tangent there. I don't know if I answered your question. Yeah, you did. Yeah, <laughs> and it's great to go on tangents here. Very good. Um, we we used to have um, Lummi language lessons, Clummy Chawson, with, with someone from, from Lummi. And a big part of it was like our introductions. That's what we were learning all the time. That was kind of like our, our grounding in it. And part of our introductions was in the Lummi language saying, um, I don't know the Lummi language and I'm still learning how to speak it. And I feel like that's going to like apply forever. It's like, yeah. we're always going to be learning, even though like I've, I've come away from those lessons and I've haven't retained a lot of it. Even if I was like consistently practicing, it's like, I'm always going to be learning. That's a beautiful yeah. sentiment too, because of course, so many of us are in that stage because, because of settler colonialism, because of erasure or attempted erasure. Um, I think, so many of us are in a stage of learning a traditional language because it was like 
we were taught not to speak it or the generations before us were taught not to speak it so it wasn't passed down to us and speaking of you getting to carve a paddle with your uncle uh, my dad was a carver some of, he was a carver and a fisherman as far as i know those are some of the things he did nice (laughs) yeah buddy (laughs) um and one of his i met one of his carving buddies at the when they were celebrating his life and yeah we got connected and then later on i think a year or so later he invited me to like come carve with him and he taught me how to carve a paddle so you carved a paddle with with like one of my dad's carving buddies and i he said that my dad taught him how to carve a paddle because like the carving masters were like would take their time with like teaching and like passing on that stuff but my dad was like i'll teach you i'll teach you how to do it (laughs) so that was a pretty like powerful experience (laughs) that's really beautiful too to have the the person who learned from your dad teach you Mm -hmm. that's really beautiful yeah i'm really grateful for that guy (laughs) how do you ground yourself when you're far away from home oh my gosh i love this question because it's uh it's a lot um uh, for example, when I go stay with my partner in San Diego, I loaded up like I had like grandma's cedar baskets. I brought cedar from from home. Um, I take I feel like I travel with this like, uh, you know, massive mountain of shells and cedar and baskets. And I'm like, these are my things. This is like where I, I, I can set up camp wherever I am. Right. <laughs> and I think of um like a first aid kit yeah it, oh my god yeah it's a <laughs> spiritual first aid kit um but i do get really homesick right like we were talking about and um i try to think of i think that chapter in red paint linoleum when my great grandmother used to tell me this story of traveling around from place to place because they traveled up and down the river a lot for work her parents and she said her mom would roll up that piece of linoleum and like lay it down on the beach, lay it down in dirt, wherever they were, wherever their, you know, temporary accommodations were. Um, and she said that just that, that little one material like made them, it was the idea that you can bring home wherever you are. Mine certainly isn't a rolled up piece of linoleum. It is a trunk of, you know, (laughs) shells and cedar baskets and photographs, but I carry that with me. Yeah. I love that. Um, one of the ways that helped me because before I moved up to Bellingham, um, I was weaving every day from like the time I'd get up to, this was after I graduated high school, I was not skipping school, <laughs> but yeah, I was weaving every day, um, just like all day and my mom would just come and bring me snacks and are you almost done yet, babe? And stuff like that. So like stuff that helps me is definitely cedar rolls i have a big bin of cedar in the garage just sitting there i love that i also think that skipping class to weave is okay in my book (laughs) like don't put me on the record for that or do (laughs) that's really cool of the women i come from you said damaged said historically said intergenerationally from the red bath i am remembering raccoons their small paws curled into fists how my mother must have seen but didn't miss didn't hit the brakes didn't even try to instead my brothers heard the thuds of their bodies beneath tires as my mother said nothing but continued driving you said of my family 
were sick. Specifically, the women suffered something unnameable, quiet sickness, opiate numb. My mother was only trying to dull the pain that had been gifted to her by blood. Red, I am less white beneath my skin, unforgiven by you who was fooled into thinking I was something else. Of my face, your mother said, didn't look Indian. What then? Where do I keep it if not on the skin? Slice me open like a persimmon. Watch blood pour out in red ribbons. Here is where I keep it. In my DNA, you'll find a catalog, a bouquet of heirlooms coursing, written inside my body, a history. How do you take care of your spirit? Hmm. I try to, uh, I love your questions. Yours are just like, go straight to the heart. <laughs> um, I try to be really mindful ever since the um, sort of experience of early on in my writing. I think when I was just sort of recklessly going into memory, I wasn't taking care of my spirit. I didn't know that at the time. Um, but the process of writing red paint um, sort of taught me that. And I had to confront like that I was not um, being careful with myself and careful with my spirit. And so that process taught me a lot. Um, and so now I try to just make sure that I think it's important too when speaking about trauma and speaking about moving through things um, to understand that it's not finished work. It's never like, oh, well, I'm done with that now. Let's wrap it up in a tidy little bow and I'm good now. I think that one part of taking care of my spirit is just the realization that you engage with that healing every day. Like you wake up and you're like, these are the things I'm going to do for myself. Do I need to go, you know, down to my altar and burn cedar and be quiet with myself for a while? Um, do I need to not make these decisions that are going to drain me or make me feel unsafe? Um, it's just sort of like an active healing that I engage with every day. I'm glad, I'm glad you're so intentional with it. <laughs> Sometimes I forget to be intentional with like giving myself space. Yeah. And then it sneaks up on you and then you're just like, yeah. A wreck. <laughs> yeah, I was experiencing that a lot where it was just like kind of go, go, going. And when you don't listen to your spirit, it's like that would happen to me too, where all of a sudden I would just be just so drained and be like, I can't do anything. What's going on? I was like, oh, you need to rest. You need to be quiet. You need to, yeah. So, yeah, the mm -hmm. same thing happens to me if I don't listen. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of us these days can relate with like, like distracting yourself a lot with like, your phone or just having, I, I have something playing like a lot. Like if I'm have to do the dishes or fold my laundry, I'm like, I'm going to listen to a podcast and sometimes that's fine. But sometimes it's like, I need, I need some quiet time in my day. Mm -hmm. um, and I need to remember that sometimes. Yeah. yeah. And to go back to, you know, what you were saying about having to go when you feel at peace by the water, that's a big one for me too. Sometimes I just know I have to go either to the woods or to the ocean and just sit there even just touch the water that really like by yourself being quiet like with that yeah mm -hmm. my um my mates always like why don't you just go to um the Samish grounds to the water 
And I'm like, I'm an ocean girl. That's not the same. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At all. <laughs> I really feel soothed when it's like windy and stormy outside. Mm. Or like thunder. I, we don't get a lot of thunder around here. Uh, on the on the east side, we would get, I think, more thunder. I'm mm-hmm. sure there's different differences in the pressure and stuff there. But like that was always really soothing. I also feel soothed by storms and rain and like, yeah, I mm-hmm. love that. Yeah. Um, I feel like I had something else. Oh, I was, yeah, with, with you mentioned you were reckless with, with your trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, d- during the book, I was curious if you like had had tried like therapy during that time and if that had any success for you. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I feel like there were two kind of phases of the journey of red paint. The first one was, I don't think I would have gotten to red paint had I not epically failed at little boats. Um, and during that time, I, I guess when I, what I mean when I say reckless with like my trauma is that I just dove into those memories and was like, I need to tell my story. I want to write it all down. Like, you know, this could maybe people will relate to this, but I wasn't taking care of my spirit. I wasn't in therapy. I wasn't kind of, I was just like, you know, head on charging through these memories that were um, re-traumatizing. And, you know, a year into that was diagnosed with PTSD. Um, And it wasn't until I took a huge break after that from writing. Um, Because again, like when you're quiet enough to listen, like ancestors will tell you, they're like, girl, you're sick. Your spirit's sick. Like you need to calm down. You need to like, so I listened and took a huge break from, from writing and, um, just kind of did my thing, worked at a little punk rock pizza joint in Georgetown in Seattle and, you know, waited tables, bartended, joined a band, kind of did that instead. And I needed that break from engaging in those memories and stories. And it was during that time that I got into therapy and that absolutely helped. I think the break plus therapy helped, you know. And after about a year of um, not writing, that's when I started to feel stronger and um, was able to come to red paint. And it honestly was therapy at the break, but then learning more about these women, letting kind of, you know, the story of Kamsha and her strength and who she was, um, sort of guide me and ground me. And so it was like a culmination of all those things. I haven't gotten into therapy myself. I would like to try someday, but, um, I do when, when thinking of like my past and stuff, I I do like think of like the inner child, like the younger version of me. And I do consider myself like in terms of a community role or my role in like my household or with my partner, I, I feel like obligated as a protector in a, in a way that I feel proud of. So like when I think of the little guy, like I'm like, I could protect him now. He's safe with me now. So that, that's instead of, I, I, I wouldn't call it in lieu of like thinking of my spirit, but I, I think like adjacent to, mm-hmm. or that that's what I, it's helpful for me to consider as like the little guy, you know, he didn't, it wasn't fair what happened to him. He didn't have like control of that, but I, I've got him now. Yeah. And yeah. I like the duality of like both can exist, right? The little mm-hmm. guy and the protector. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
in the book, um, dreams are really prevalent and the imagery of like your family and your experiences. Do dreams still come into play in your life today? Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, I was just um, a couple weeks ago at Longhouse Gathering. My mom and I presented together, which was really cool. Um, she was presenting the uh, film about our grandma, um, the symphony at Royal Hall, The Healing Heart of Lachit Seed. And um, we were in a conversation. It was cool to present with her, but then afterwards, like we were just chatting and I brought up a dream that I'd recently had. And I've had several dreams um, kind of similar in in nature. And my mom's eyes got kind of big and she was like, oh. And then she shared a dream with, with me that she had when she was younger that was similar. And it's it was kind of a cryptic way to answer. But yes, dreams absolutely play a huge role in uh, my life and my process right now. That's so cool. I feel like a lot of people... I mean, a lot of people, I think everyone dreams is what I've heard, but not everyone remembers their dreams. Cause like once you wake up, there's like a, you know, a high chance you'll forget it right away. But even if I, a lot of people remember their dreams, they like, they mean like nothing. Like it's like very confusing. It's not like cultural or for family stuff. It's like, I don't know. I was chased by a lamp. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a I hate the lamp. chased by a lamp dreams. <laughs> what do those mean? No, I know what you mean though. Like I'll, I'll wake up and share a dream, you know, with someone like, oh, this happened. And it's like deeply, like culturally, culturally significant to me, right? Or like spiritually significant. And then it's fun when you get the, like the person who's just like, oh yeah, well, I was driving a Ferrari, but also like slaying dragons. And then uh, it's like, okay, our, we, we don't dream the same. Yeah. Like no shade, but um, you know what I mean? And, That's great, man. <laughs> yeah, cool. Slay those dragons with your Ferrari. <laughs> I don't have those dreams too often, but um, when I do, they're pretty crazy. But like recently, my dreams have been more of like designs, weaving designs. So I have like a whole thing in my my phone, my note phone, designs that I have to do when I get to it. Oh, you're getting assignments from ancestors yeah. through your dreams. Dude, that's so cool. With it. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Can you can you do you have a photo of the of the of the yay? medallion that you did oh yeah it's she beaded the, a yay we should, like like our logo i'm like oh do you have an instagram i might need to follow sticker you. oh my god that's so beautiful thank you that's amazing and i you pointed out the 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 hat has like a weaving pattern with the beads in there and I, yeah, i'm like I, let me take a closer look i was like oh no i was did. i was stunned <laughs> Here's a better picture. Wow. That's gorgeous. Thank you. I'm going to have to follow you. <laughs> <laughs> we brought you some things. In oh, this. oh my goodness. Oh. Did you make that one? Yeah, I made that one. <gasps> oh my gosh, thank you. You're welcome. thank you. It's gorgeous. I'm going to put it on right now and have one million... <laughs> Necklaces, like some kind of indigenous <laughs> Mr. T. <laughs> Thank you so much. That's really beautiful. Some, some first aid, some spiritual first yeah, aid. Yeah, this is my first aid kit. See, now this one is uh, mobile. It can travel on me. <laughs> Maybe the plane will let you have it. <laughs> TSA. Um, 
Yeah, still thinking about dreams. I the only dreams that are significant that I've had involved snakes. I had like one when I was younger, and it was like the, one of my childhood homes, and there was like a big snake in the backyard. Like I was hanging out with cousins or something, and then a big snake appeared, and we're like, okay, we gotta go inside. And it wasn't like the snake was out to kill us or anything, but like we could tell it was really powerful. Like mm-hmm. every time you look at it, there was like tunnel vision. Wow, you see it. Um, so that was that one, and then I had one later. I think in my later teens of a smaller snake and it was like a really cluttered space and it was also like I was close to it but it was like if you touch it like your limb would become deformed wow. I don't know yeah so snakes so are showing snakes, up for I you guess, for me <laughs> I I don't want to go off on a total dream tangent but uh orcas are coming to me I mean I've dreamt oceanic and water since I can remember but um recently like it's just always orcas and it's wild they're intense they're powerful sometimes they're scary like or not scared kind of the way you were describing the snake where it's not necessarily like a threat or like fear but it's there's something powerful and like not ominous but i don't know when you're in a dream it feels so real yeah like it could be something that's like like when i wake up from a dream it's like oh wait that wasn't happening but when you're in the dream it's like it's really hard to tell that it's that it's not actually happening. 100%. It's all encompassing. I like keep dreaming that I'm sleeping on the back of an orca. Like it's been reoccurring and in the moment it's um not terrifying but it's also like oh it's so vivid that mm-hmm. I'm like accepting it and it's not like I don't know. I'm not t- now I'm like and then I was in a hallway but the hallway was made of cheese it's always hard to describe oh, dreams yeah. <laughs> but like the reoccurring thing is definitely the back of an orca and it's really really beautiful and intense yeah that's wild you're like a powerhouse of Coast Salish dreams <laughs> <laughs> the, these the orca ones are coming like later in life I don't know I'm trying to figure that out right now and talk to yeah. folks about it really great friends and then it was funny that that was odd you know uh or maybe it wasn't my boss it was someone recently like you have roommates and I was like yeah but like I'm just living like my ancestors did you know sometimes there's like three to four families to one longhouse like it's just I'm living communally I actually really love it that's my goal is to like yeah I like I want the land I want some some houses but I want to live with my friends same I don't want to live isolated at all (laughs) no 
like even uh i'm also getting married um which is wild but uh i'm like uh i don't think we're ever going to do the like completely you know regular heteronormative like uh nuclear family no i was like we're gonna be living communally until we're like 80 or whenever you know like so yeah that's the vibe i love that mm-hmm. i might have missed what you do for work are you a teacher yeah i teach at the native pathways program down at evergreen i teach creative writing and um yeah it's a really beautiful i really love that program um it's really really special like we have our longhouse weekend coming up next weekend um yeah it's just such a special program that's so cool yeah i wish i wish more people like i didn't know about any of that kind of stuff in high school like when i was going to signing up for colleges i didn't know and even the western i didn't know about like like native groups and stuff there Mm -hmm. so i don't know we gotta we gotta we gotta get get the message out for those kids yeah well definitely if you can get the message out about native pathways at evergreen it's because I could totally relate when I was younger. Um, I thought I hated school and mm. didn't really love moving through academic spaces. I, you know, was a teen runaway, dropped out of alternative high school. Altern- like, who does that? <laughs> um, but later, when I was in my 20s, I learned of the Institute of American Indian Arts and being in, sure, an academic space, but like, um, also in community with other indigenous artists and writers. Like, I was like, oh, this is just what I needed. And so something like Native Pathways, it's just important, I think, to be in community, whether it's like a student, like like indigenous student group or just finding finding your people. It's important. Maybe totally. that's what I need in school. <laughs> yeah. Are you in school right no, now? No, I dropped out. Oh. But when you go back. <laughs> when I, if I go back. Come check out NPP. I'll give you a brochure. Okay. <laughs> it's so cool. Do you have any projects coming up? I do. Um, well, Thundersong, uh, the book of essays, comes out March 5th, which is really exciting and surreal. Um, and next week. <laughs> oh, my God. That is next. That actually is next week. <laughs> like, wow. <clears throat> That's crazy. Um, so that that comes out and we'll be um, doing some readings and events for that. Um, going to Bellingham for four days, which I'm excited about. Um and I'm also working on, I feel like I'm always, as a true Gemini, I'm like always juggling a different, a couple different things. Um, I'm writing a lot of poems right now, a lot of poems about orcas and water and the beach. Um, a lot different from Rose Quartz. Um, that collection was so focused on um, like personal healing and, and stuff, as was Red Paint. Um, but with these poems, I'm just sort of being called to like you're uh, getting patterns in your dreams. I'm getting water and beaches and whales, and so that's sort of driving my um, my poetry currently. What else do you do in your free time when you have free time? Oh gosh, um, I'm like when when do I have free time? Uh, I, I, I like to ask that question to people, but I'm like, I shouldn't assume they have that much free time because <laughs> a lot of people are like, I don't know, I don't. <laughs> no, but that's it's a good question, and um, when I'm not writing uh, or working. I I really love to be in the woods. My partner and I go on a lot of hikes. I like to, we go swimming a lot. Um, I like to spend time in the woods and the water. I also love to go to shows. Um, up until recently, 
uh, my bandmate and I were playing weird music in her basement a lot and recorded a demo and like we've taken a big break, but we might we might start up again. Um, I think we just released a single, uh, just a song that we recorded last summer called Tulips because I have an essay called Tulips in Thundersong and we were talking about it and she was like, we should actually put that song out because we recorded it but never did anything with it. And so, uh, yeah, that's what I like to do. I like to swim. I like to be in the woods. I like to like play bad punk music. <laughs> so yeah, so you are very punk. Are there any like runner up genres? For you? Oh, for sure. Like definitely um, anything dark wave, gothy, um, like synth dancey shoegazy like you know sad girl music um also yeah just been really listening to a lot of snotty nose res kids like that's cool <laughs> yeah do you know do you know who the ocs are no no okay that's fine <laughs> always curious of the women of my family you said addiction said submission from the red bath, I wrap a towel around my nakedness. Bergamot and rose puddle still clinging to my breasts. I set the cedar down carefully and step to the mirror, to the face looking back. As it says, shape shift. Says, shake this off or wilt a pale tulip tossed at his feet. What advice do you have for Native youth? Hmm. Um, I think kind of what we were just talking about to like find your people, like find community. Um, that was so important to me. Um, and I think that uh, when we feel less alone, um, we can kind of let our communities like be our chosen family. So I'd say like finding like your people, finding community and um, and just doing finding what you love to do as well. And like just deep diving hard into it, because that's really important to like move through this world as an indigenous person. We like carry a lot of we carry a lot of stuff. We carry a lot of trauma, generational trauma, all of these things. But we also carry a lot of strength and resilience. And I think that that comes forward and comes like more powerfully through when we are with um people that love us and care about us and want to see us thrive it's like giving youth cultural roles mm -hmm. so like filling filling the filling the cultural void that they're that they may have yeah and that like can take take away the uh the temptation or like the the void to be filled with like substance abuse or whatever it might be so yeah i would echo that like find find your place find your community absolutely yeah do you have any questions for us hmm yeah i do actually um so how do you like you guys have shared a little bit but like um oh wait i have a i have a I, I thought about asking this before we even got started outside of this podcast and knowing the work you you guys do with the children of the setting sun what else do you do like what do you guys do for fun and do you want to go first like outside of work mm -hmm. yeah um 
Well, I go to the gym, and that's been helping me out this winter a lot. So, like, weight, weight training specifically. Um, I find a lot of fulfillment in that, in, like, seeing progress and, um, like, engaging with it. Like, the, like, mind-to-muscle connection. I feel like as you get stronger, that connection gets stronger, and it becomes, like, more and more enjoyable. Um, I'm a gamer, so I play video games. And I play Magic the Gathering a lot, which is like, you know, the card game. Oh, I know it. Yeah. yeah. I learned how to play it a few years ago. I freaking love it. Yeah. It's a, it's a deep, it's a deep pit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a lot to get into. Um, those are the main things that I, yeah, love being with friends and stuff. Very cool. Um, I'm, I weave a lot. I also just picked up beading. Um, and other than that. I just, I'm just, I'm a newly mom. Congratulations. I'm in the process of adopting my niece. So, mm. oh my gosh, congratulations. Thank you. Shout out Nicole. Shout out Cole. <laughs> <laughs> I also do get yeah, cold plunges when I can. Yeah. I, I, I always want to go through the winter because like, I feel like when it starts getting colder in like August, I'm like, if I just keep doing it, I'll get used to it. And I can do it through the winter, but then something always stops me. Like I get sick or I like get a new tattoo. So I have to like stay out of mm-hmm. water. I, um, I feel like, um, there's something deeply healing or something about cold water for, cause like I, uh, when I meet other people that enjoy cold plunges, I'm like, yeah, there's something about it. Right. Like, mm-hmm. um, I think even just this last, um, it was not warm. It was summer, but it was freezing water. And, you know, I was out in Port Townsend with a bunch of poets and we went down to the beach at night and there were bioluminescence. Like you could see the water kind of twinkling like blue and purple, like it looked like the cosmos in there. And so I was like, well, I'm getting in and no, like I was with like four other people on the beach and they were like, it's like 10 o'clock at night. And I was like, don't care. And I just dove in and swam. And like, I'm usually the only person in the group that does that. But so... Clearly, we need to hang out more if you guys are into that. So I won't be the only one. Yeah, I I, I resonate with that. Some like a lot of people are like, "No, you're crazy." But then when someone does, you're like, "You get it." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're on to something. Yeah. They're the ones that. And you feel great the rest of the day. And I swear, when I'm doing it consistently, I don't get sick. Yeah. Like I'm 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 good. I'm solid. <laughs> I feel like there are spiritual health benefits and like physical health benefits to it. There's got to be. Yeah. I don't do it often, but when I do, it just makes me so happy. Like, I only like to do it when I'm at home. And I don't know, I might be biased, but home water is the best water to me. But it just makes me, it soothes me, and then it just makes me so happy. Like, nothing's wrong in the world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For that moment underwater, nothing is wrong in the world. Agreed. I think I got turned on to it because um, it was like a day or two after... A leg day so my you know your legs get most sore like two days afterwards and my partner and i were like going through the the Whatcom trails and we we couldn't quite find the way like the bridge to get like back across like to the side that we lived so we had to like i was like let's just let's just go across right here across this 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 uh part of the stream and it was like 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 waist deep water so we like took our shoes off and we were kind of wading through it and you had to be like really careful because it was it was flowing pretty hard and you didn't want to lose like your your gripping or anything and fall. So it was like you got to be really slow. So our legs were just in there for like a while, and it like it was like there was like the like numbing, 
level and then, and then you get used to it and it's nice and then afterwards you're just like glowing and it does something to circulation right yeah. so if you just worked out and we're sore from it probably yeah. did good things for your muscles okay well i feel like when i'm up in bellingham soon uh where we should uh let's commit let's commit to a a, a cold plunge when yeah. i'm there I haven't done it this year, so that'd be good. Yeah. <laughs> I've only done my legs this year, so it'd be good to jump in. <laughs> I'm going to look at my schedule and find some free time and pencil in a <laughs> you're jumping into cold water mm-hmm. hour. <laughs> Do you still, you know, you mentioned that really special um, moment being taught to carve the paddle by the person uh, who was taught by your dad. Do you still engage with that? or do you, Are you still able to go there? And is that part of your life right now? Uh, I'm able to, like, I'm still in contact with them, but I haven't, I haven't yet. So I would like to, but yeah, we're That's still, cool. we're still connected on Facebook. That's awesome. Yeah. Cool, cool. guy. Um, we recently learned a couple of our, of our fellow youths are like into like drawing and stuff and they do a little bit of carving and we had like a little workshop recently, just like learning the basics of Coast Salus drawings oh, rad. and like differentiating like what's northern art and like what basically like what's not coast salish and like mm-hmm. what is coast salish and just working on those and then that's very cool yeah so that was like pretty cool and like found honestly found like a new way to doodle yeah <laughs> doodling in coast salish doodling cool. in coast salish a new <laughs> memoir <laughs> <laughs> and then uh i have a question for you because uh you said you just picked up beading but you are a baller at it like that Thank design you. is beautiful um do you uh have a page or do you can I follow you and, uh, like, <laughs> uh, yeah, I have a page. Um, I don't, I haven't posted like a lot of my artwork on there. I'd say more of my artworks on Facebook. Okay. Good to know. For sure. I'm like, you have a gift. So <laughs> thank I you want to know that you're out there. <laughs> well, thank you, Sasha, so much for, for joining us. It's been a pleasure getting to know you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much for having me. This was really beautiful. Heishka. Bye. Hoi. Thank you to our funder, the Inatai Foundation. This episode is produced by Waikikia, Cyrus, Roy, and Ellie. Music by Keith Jefferson, Adam Lawrence, and Mark Nichols. Poetry by Sasha LaPointe and her band Medusa Stare. Yay is a part of Children of the Setting Sun Production.